0: Welcome to the Voyager podcast hosted by Chris Fick and Brad Alexander. We're a weekly show about authentic faith in unlikely places. You can find us on Apple podcasts and Spotify. We hope you're encouraged.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Voyager podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Fick and I'm here with Brad Alexander. Hello. Yeah. (laughs) Episode, was it episode one or is it episode two? I guess episode, we called the other one episode zero, right? Yeah. Episode one. Yeah.
0: It's kind of, yeah. First topic.
1: An episode. Uh, (laughs) And today we are going to be talking about skateboarding. We're going to be talking about the whole skating scene and uh, something near and dear to your heart, Brad.
0: Yes. And something we both have some experience in.
1: I don't have that much experience in it, but I did mess around for a little bit in the '90s.
0: <laughs> in the '90s was like a golden era of skateboarding because I started skateboarding in 1994. The Birdhouse graphics, everything was kind of cartoony and fun, and like That's
1: what I had. I had a Birdhouse Jeremy Klein Nutrageous uh, graphic, <laughs> uh, and that was my first like real skateboard with with gr- blue Grind King trucks. Brian and, King's a '90s thing, and Lucky Bearings, and uh, and then my friend gave me Swiss Bearings, and that was yeah. <laughs> that, that's all that mattered, right? You had to have all the the right stuff.
0: <laughs> the blind, uh, the little Reaper guy, and getting chased out of schools, and you know, yeah. So yep. we're gonna get into it today.
1: Yes. So yeah, obviously, this is a subject you have a lot of experience in, right? And so. Has skating influenced your life? How was it part of your life? Give us kind of the background and then kind of get into that.
0: Yeah. So, you know, talking about authentic faith, unlikely places, we're journeying through different subcultures, things that are important to us, things that we've seen radical, awesome movements in, places we would like to see radical, awesome movements in. Why is skateboarding important? It captivates generation after generation. And for good reason, it's like, it's such an awesome thing. And it's very lifestyle oriented. So it kind of is an identity. So I've had years where like, I skate all the time. And then I've had some eras throughout my life where I dropped off for a year or two, or I was preoccupied, not really skating, but I still identified as being a skateboarder. My fashion sense, all these things, it comes from skateboarding. The music I listened to, a lot of it was birthed out of skateboarding. Music and skateboarding kind of go hand in hand. I'll say that.
1: Right. Yeah,
0: I was watching a 90s part the other day. It was Jamie Thomas and Misled Youth. And the second The Who came on, I'm like, yeah. Skateboarding is a very lifestyle thing. And a lot of kids are drawn into it. I know I was. And then there's a couple other areas that I think skateboarding is kind of just soaked in. And the two that come to mind for me are addiction and mental health issues. I'm not saying just because you're a skateboarder, like, oh, you, you're you going to suffer from addiction or mental health. But I'm saying those are things that I've historically seen with my friends, with my life, with professional skaters as the generations go. I think that's why a lot of people's parents kind of, not everyone's, but a lot of kids when I was growing up too, like, as you're getting into skating, a lot of parents were pushing back on it. Like, I don't want you to be a skateboarder, you know? Where's that going to take your life? Uh, we need to get you away from that. And
1: And back then it was outlawed like in a lot of places like you said schools like i remember getting chased out of a school uh run high and my friends went across the street and almost got hit by a car and the guys chasing us on a bike and and there's the whole it was santa cruz like skateboarding is not a crime like that there's a chip on the shoulder of a lot of the that community right and so a lot of the parents are like i don't want my kids to go down that road and the kids are loving the fact that it's creative and that it's and what's really interesting, even in the 90s, is like everyone's dressing like skaters, whether they skated or not. They had the big yes. shoes, the puffy shoes, and the, <laughs> and the that was when jeans were not skinny back then. And there was all the, that whole yeah. era. Yeah. It's so. kind of
0: going that way again. I too. know it's
1: tripping me out, man. I'm going to go find yeah. some silver tabs or something.
0: They ride bigger wheels than we did because everyone's riding 59 and 60 millimeter wheels. We rode like fifties, you know, bearing covers.
1: Smaller the better.
0: <laughs> but um, the fashion is going that way again. Right. It's so funny. But I lived with my dad and my stepmom until I was 10. And my dad moved us from Garden Grove to Palmdale. My mom lived in Mission Viejo. Uh, she rented a room in a friend's house. And... The summer before fourth grade, I moved in with my mom and we got a condo in Laguna Niguel and it's while my dad and my stepmom were going through a divorce. And it was kind of my mom's opportunity, I think, to take me. But um, she was a dental assistant and she worked in Mission Viejo. It's summer. She's working 40 hours a week. You're not going to leave a nine-year-old at home alone. So she put me in a YMCA and she put me in a YMCA that was across the street from her work. So I lived in Laguna Niguel, but I went to school in Mission Viejo. Mission Viejo is a really nice place. It's kind of just a suburb in Orange County, mm-hmm. but a lot of wealth, a lot of nice homes and families that are like fairly well off. Maybe they're not loaded rich, but they're doing pretty okay in life.
1: Established community, older money. Yeah. Yes.
0: Green lawns, well-kept roads, <laughs> you know. Right. So Good football team, Mission and, Viejo. Yeah. So um, I start going to this YMCA and they're like, tomorrow's bring a whatever to school day. You can bring a bike, rollerblade, skateboard. So I brought like a one-tailed skateboard. And to me, it's like, that's what a skateboard was. You know, a skateboard just like a piece of wood with four wheels, right?
1: The vision, vision style skateboards from back in the day.
0: <laughs> yeah. And um, this other kid and his little brother had actual boards. And they were like, what are you riding? I'm like, a skateboard. They're like, yeah, that's not a skateboard. I'm like, what? <laughs> looks like a skateboard to me. And his name was Mike Ridinger. And he did like an ollie and a 180. And he might as well have like levitated off the ground. Because in, in this time in 1994, it was like, what just happened? Mind-blowing. And I could not figure it out. But I, I knew that I wanted to. Hmm. And I started learning about brands and now I'm wearing like airwalks and learning about skate culture. And I was just immersed in it very quickly. I don't know if you can relate because you started skating in the nineties too.
1: Yeah. I was just never that good at it. And I liked other sports too. So I didn't let it fully immerse me, but (laughs) I, I was around a lot of friends who were into it like that. And I thought it was, everybody thought it was cool. It was just a matter of putting in the time to like go all in on it like that.
0: Yeah. And I loved it. I wasn't a team sports guy. Uh, I was a late bloomer. I was a smaller kid. Um, I'm six 6'2", but that happened like senior year. So I was always kind of a smaller guy and I, I never excelled at sports, but skateboarding, I, I kind of did excel at. I was getting pretty good. And by sixth grade, I started skating with some of like the most popular kids in school. And I, it kind of like served that validation issue too, you know, it was like, oh, these guys accept me. And like, it's based on, on my merits, you know, cause I can do certain tricks. It's like, I'm allowed to skate with them.
1: That, and that probably pushes you even more to want to learn more tricks.
0: So I'm going to school in Mission Viejo and I skate with some of the kids in Mission Viejo, but, um, you know, every other weekend I'm in Palmdale, not a lot of skateboarding happening out there. Um, later on, they had a skate park, but at that time it was a lot of dirt. So kids like, kind of like dirt bikes, BMX, whatever. If I couldn't get a ride to Mission Viejo, I would skate in Laguna Niguel. And there was really only one other kid in my complex that skated and he was a year older and he went to Aliso. So when I was in junior high, he was already like in high school and his friends would come over and I really looked up to them and I started skating with them. And I've told this story before, but, um... We were skating a spot in the condos. There's a little bank, and we were skating at it, and we could see a guy who had a joint in his hand who looked like he was probably 18 or 19, and he was rolling around over yonder. He disappears, and a cop shows up. So someone had obviously seen this guy rolling around openly, like in broad daylight with the joint, called the cops. The cop comes, and he just sees three skater kids, so he probably was told there's a skateboarder with you know, a joint or whatever. So he sits us on the curb, and he's like, yeah, we got called because, you know, someone had drugs, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, we would never do that. Like, we're not about that. So I'm talking to the cop, and he's super nice. And he's like, all right, stay out of trouble. He leaves, and my neighbor goes, good thing he didn't search us and find my stash. And I was like, what? And I knew that skateboarding and drug culture kind of went hand in hand. Flip skateboards had the Cheech and Chong, the Tom Penny Cheech and Chong board. A bunch of my friends had it. But, um... Because addiction is kind of like, in my family, that's not something that ever interested me. But now I find out the guys I skate with, they're like getting high every day. And his dad was a Vietnam vet who I think was really traumatized. So he would come home from work, pour a glass of scotch, and he'd go in his room and you wouldn't see him again. So this kid really had free reign to just kind of do whatever he wanted, you know? Mm. I just think he was in a hard circumstance. His mom wasn't in the picture His dad's an alcoholic and a traumatized veteran. That's probably a hard situation, you know? So um, it gets to the point where I skate with these guys, but then they're always like, okay, we're going to go do our thing. We'll see you later, Brad. So now I'm like the outsider, and I hate being the outsider. I moved around a bunch as a kid. I just hate being left out, you know? So I was like, well, I can come hang out. I start doing that. How long do you think that lasts, right? Right. Right. But I'm just here to watch. I'm just hanging out, right? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do quote-unquote drugs. Drugs are bad, right? Like three days in, I'm like, well, I'll just do it once. You got to try it, right? Well, now I'm getting high with them every day. This will sound really stupid to an adult, but in a 13-year-old's head, there was always this thing of like, so-and-so did this trick because they were drunk and high. It was like a superpower to be drunk and high. It made you skate better or something. hmm so it was write like better oh.
1: songs or
0: <laughs> it was a badge of honor to be like oh I get high now in freshman year I turned that around I've told this story before but I thought my mom found my stash I'm waiting for her every day to come bust me and I'm like why is she toying with me I realized she didn't find it but the anticipation of thinking my mom had caught me and the disappointment she would probably have I was like I don't want to engage in this anymore so I went Drug free and I started listening to like Dogwood and Slick Shoes and MXPX and I like wasn't a Christian but really wanted to be in a Christian punk band, <laughs> if that makes any mm. sense. Yeah. We moved to Mission Viejo, so I didn't live by that neighbor anymore. So I stopped seeing him. I started going to Capo Valley. I went a different direction altogether. And that that led me into the hardcore scene and different things, but um
1: I guess a lot of the pull from to be part of the drugs was because of not wanting to be left out, right? That's kind of the
0: idea. Yeah, I think skateboarding appeals to a lot of kids who feel like society has rejected them in some way or another. And I won't say that's 100% of the time. Right. But it is this very like outlaw, rebellious, punk rock activity, and has been for many decades, that I think draws in a lot of kids from broken families or that are looking to escape. It is a really good escape. If you don't like what's going on at home, grab your board. I'm going to go skate with friends. I'm going to get out of here. It's acceptance for people who feel rejected. And it's just like really cool. Like, I don't know a better way to put it, but skateboarding is just really cool. There's It's social, but it's individual.
1: I think skateboarding is really unique in the sense that it kind of checks a lot of boxes at once because it's physical exercise, right? You're sweating, you're working hard. It's like mental too in a sense it's creative very creative because the best skaters are like some of the most creative skaters they make their own tricks right and that that's really cool too it's social yet it's individual so it's kind of like checks a lot of boxes all at once i can understand the appeal uh and it's and it's super challenging that's the other thing is like not everybody can do it well you're going to have to a certain amount of um You know coordination, but also perseverance to kind of stick with it, Um, which I think is probably a lot of the draw. Because a lot of maybe people have never been around it at all. They look at it and go, "Who cares?" It's like a board with wheels. Like, why? How (laughs) could you let this like take over your life? You know?
0: Yeah, it's it's a huge identity, though. I want to use my story to highlight something I see kind of happen in skateboarding, and I've seen it happen for generations after mine. In a lot of ways, I feel like skateboarding and music and like skate punk that I was listening to at the time introduced me to a drug lifestyle, a party lifestyle, and made it seem really desirable. And for me, I kind of needed an escape. I needed somewhere to belong, and I also saw a lot of value in being able to turn it off from time to time. Hmm. In seventh grade, my dad had moved to Rancho Santa Margarita in Orange County for a little bit, and I went and stayed with him for the summer, just to kind of change up my scenario. And Ryan Kendrich worked at the local skate shop, but also rode for Darkstar. And he rode for S at the time. Later he would ride for Globe, but he like was making making it in skateboarding. And you'd see him in 401 videos. And um, I looked up to that guy so much and he was so kind to me. And I was like 13, and he was probably 18 or 19. And I would just go down to the skate shop every day. I'd hang out there. I'd buy like $1.50 hardware that I didn't need just to like pretend like I was in there for a reason. But I just wanted to hang out with Ryan. I went to Huntington Beach Skate Park. He was there and these guys, the Warner Ave crew was there. And at the time, these were some of the biggest guys in skateboarding. And they all lived in Huntington and they skated that park all the time. And it was my birthday. You needed a reason to get a ride up there when you didn't drive, right? So my birthday was a good reason. Ryan happened to be there and with all those guys. And he introduced me to all of them. And it was like, oh, my God, I'm meeting, like, my heroes right now, right? Mm. This is, like, the coolest birthday present ever. Ryan ended up dying of a drug overdose. And all of those guys I met became the Baker team. And the videos they started putting out in years to come would show them passed out at parties, would show them sloppy drunk. So you can imagine as an impressionable kid, the role models you've chosen, these people you look up to, seeds start to get planted that these guys all do drugs and they all party really hard. And I want to kind of draw a correlation to like, I didn't know when I was 13, 14, that that was like a problem. But when I was 18 and 19, and I started to revisit those videos, and I was skating a lot. Dude, this is like us. Their crew was called the Piss Trunks. It's like, dude, yeah, and we had a, a little skate crew we, um, we started called Whiskey Town. Anyone who's seen my feet <laughs> at a jacuzzi or, like, the beach has seen that my, my feet say Whiskey Town, and I have a skull and crossbones on each foot. One, the crossbones are skateboards, and the other, it's guitars, because it was my skate and music friends. And that lifestyle drew me deeper and deeper into all I really cared about was like skating and sedating myself. And I was so lost that I didn't even know I was lost. I want to get to the positives too, because I love skateboarding. There's so many beautiful things about that community. But I also want to draw a correlation when people are like, why, why does it matter if so-and-so wants to put them drinking in a video or is open about them smoking pot. You don't realize that the seeds that are being planted in that community have pretty direct outcomes. And if you look at skateboarding as a whole, I would say almost everyone I skated with got into to drugs at some point in their life. Very few people didn't. Right. So what's a good solution to a problem like that? Let's get some better role models in that community, right? A lot of people are just trying to figure life out. And the importance of good role models you see as you get older and older, it's like it means everything to have people that are sowing into your life, but sowing positives. They're not showing you like how to get high, how to acquire drugs.
1: Yeah, we all have blind spots. So like skateboarding is not inherently good or bad. Like it's right. It's just kind of like a microcosm of humans. Like we have the ability to do amazing things. And we have the ability to do terrible things. Like we've been, they both have, there's a lot of potential uh, in a sense there, but it's how it's being used is 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 the key. And even biblically, a lot of the letters start off, you know, Paul's letters to the churches and say like, hey, you know what? You guys are uh, really good at these things. There's huge advantages here, but here's some stuff that's going to mess you guys up. Here's some stuff that's going to ruin it for the, for like, it's going to, they're foundational issues, they're roots that are going to cause really bad fruit in your life. So for someone that really loves the scene, you don't want to get out of it and leave it alone and be like, we got to get out of here, man. There's some bad stuff happening here, but you want to bring something better to it so that it can be even more healthy and you're going to have even better skaters and you're going to have even better scene for the younger kids coming in which even at our church here, we have kids that are getting into it. My son's someone that's going to the skate park and learning how to skate.
0: Yeah, I love
1: it. So we want to have that. And that's why I love your heart for that is not to call it all bad, but to say, hey, look, there's some really good elements to this, really good aspects to this, but uh, let's deal with some of the stuff that's not.
0: When you talk about this with someone who maybe isn't a Christian, I think a lot of the response is like, why does it matter? Why can't you separate your belief in God from skateboarding? Like, why do you need Christian brands in skateboarding? Why do you need to do, you know, church skate nights or whatever? Like, why does it matter? It's not that we're trying to brainwash people. It's not like we're trying to fill up more seats in our church. So many good things in my life came out of skateboarding. That rebellious by nature kind of like question everything, push back on things. When that's in in tame, it's a a quality I really like about myself, is I'm not quick to just conform or let people kind of push things on me without asking some questions, and that comes from growing up a skateboarder. I met my wife through people I was uh, skating with. My career, I was a skate filmer before I was a filmer, and that led into eventually working at a commercial agency, and and now I'm on my second feature-length documentary. And that came because my knee went bad and I couldn't skate as hard anymore, but I could still film. So God has used skateboarding in really cool ways in my life. And when I think about that community, and I've told this story before, and I don't want to get into the, the crazy details of it, but there is a kid from a church that we came from that was a little skate kid and went through some gnarly stuff in his life. No one would take away that his life got really gnarly. And I, I know that he went to rehab. And then he recently took his own life. And when I had heard that, I was like devastated because he had suffered some hardship in his family. And I wish I could have reached out to him. I wish I had the relationship with him that I could have tried to be there for him. But that wasn't the scenario. And right after that happened, I was looking for boards on the CCS website. And I saw a board with a demon hanging on a cross. And it said, I don't love you. Go jump off the building from one of the biggest brands in skateboarding. And it made me so angry to see a company think that that was like funny to put on a skateboard, not only to mock Jesus, which is, you know, kind of like really offensive, not even kind of, it's really offensive to anyone, but you could probably laugh it off and be like, whatever, it's satirical, but it's like, dude, some, some little skate rat I know just took his life. And to see that on a board just made me so bummed. Why does it matter? Because time and time again, we've seen suicides in the skate community. We've seen addiction in the skate community. We've seen people that dropped out of high school for their sponsors so that they could go on tour and make it in skateboarding. And then their career is over by 30. But also skateboarders are like awesome.
1: Yeah. That event that happened with a, that young guy we know uh, kind of sparked something in you and some others, other friends of ours as well. Yes. That kind of led to even wanting to do something like this and wanting to reach out So like the kind of like our heart in all of this is like, we like love people in these subcultures. We love people in these like worlds and want to highlight stuff that's potentially dangerous. Right. And it's out of love. Like, man, it's just like, I just don't want to see, have to think about this again. So uh, a lot of your heart is in reaching out to those who are maybe like just getting into that or maybe around that. To like open your eyes and like, look around, man, this is not where you want to be, right?
0: Like I remember someone making fun of my friend once and he's like, you still doing kickflips for Jesus? And he was mad about something else, but the comment. And I remember being mad about it, but I'm like, I get it. He doesn't understand it. Why are you doing quote unquote kickflips for Jesus? Why are you writing for Christian brands? Right. Why are you doing demos at churches? It, it doesn't compute with someone who doesn't understand the gospel at, th- at this point. When it became real to me, it was like the lights turned on. I don't know how else to explain it. I did not believe in God. The gospel did not make sense. It seemed like a bunch of like, wait, you believe that and this and that and that. And someone was really kind of talking to me and God was working on my heart. And one day I prayed out of kind of like, I'll just see. What do I have to lose? And there was some coincidences in my life that day. Some circumstances that were very weird. And that night I got on my knees and I was like, God, I think you were trying to get att- like my attention today. I think you were trying to speak to me in a way I would understand. I think you're real. And it's like the lights turned on and all of a sudden God made so much sense. Hmm. One second, the idea of God seemed kind of ridiculous. And the next second I was like, whoa, I can't believe that I didn't know you were here this whole time. I didn't have a white light moment. I didn't have anything crazy. I did feel like warm and fuzzy. I felt loved. Mm. And for a kid that felt rejected most of his life, it felt so good to feel like, man, you're there and you love me and you care about me and you've been trying to get my attention. It changed everything for me. And there was really awesome skate ministry at that time because the next thing I thought is like, well, who am I supposed to be? I've said this before, but you know, I had people in my life that did try and reach out to me, and I had people in my life that are like, hey, all those tattoos, like, you're going to hell for that. Oh, thanks for giving me a reason never to go to church. And now when I believe in God, all of a sudden I'm like, what do I do now? What if I show up at church and they don't want me there? I can't fit in with those people. It was a complete deception. I found very quickly that there were like some radical, awesome people in church. And I found some of my best friends over the years through different churches. And um, I would love to just see more and more evangelism done in that community, because I think there's kids out there that they need to know that they're loved, that God has a purpose for them. They need direction. They're not bad people and they're not bad kids. But they don't know what tomorrow's going to bring or maybe their, their home life isn't good or maybe they don't see a way out of their, their circumstance and they, they love skateboarding. And that goes back to the importance of role models, right? I'm going to tell another story. I'll, I'll try and keep it quick. My friend's mom sat me at a dinner table one night when I was 19 and she explained God to me until like 2 in the morning. She, had, she has MS. She had been on her deathbed multiple times, had miraculous recoveries. They were Catholic when it happened. Like, reading her her last rites, say goodbye to your children, this is the end, had radical recoveries. She had lost her sight for two years. She went legally blind, and her sight was restored. And I left that house, and I was like, I believe in God. I felt it. God was working on me. I was living in an apartment in Laguna I think there's five of us in a three bedroom classic. (laughs) And I was telling one of our friends by the jacuzzi and our apartment porch was on the other side of the gate to the jacuzzi. I was telling our friend how I believed in God and my roommate who was kind of like the alpha of the house. He was a fighter. It kind of reminds me of (laughs) stories I hear about you, Chris. No, I was not like that, (laughs) (laughs) but he was an intimidating guy and he was my friend, but you never wanted to be on the wrong side of his, his wrath. And he heard me talking and I just heard him yell like what? And he stormed over. And I don't remember the words that were exchanged, but I knew not to ever bring up God in our apartment or that vicinity again. Within a month of believing in God, I'm doing mushrooms. I'm reading philosophy books. I'm an atheist and I'm chanting with beads with my Buddhist neighbor. As a Christian, I would tell you that spiritual warfare is God started to make sense to me. And as a parable Jesus gave about the seeds, is the enemy came and plucked that right back up. You don't really believe that. I had a lot of run-ins like that where God would make sense, but the people I'm hanging out with would choke it right back out and be like, you don't believe that. Are you that weak? And when God really made sense to me to a point where like, I was like, I'm not turning back. There were still people that are like, I never thought you would be so weak, but this time I was like, I'm okay with however you view me. And I did lose a lot of friends. And honestly, skateboarding was how God brought new people into my life. So that's another way he redeemed it for me is I lost a bunch of my hardcore friends and and a bunch of the guys I was skating with before because they didn't like the fact that I was a Christian. It was okay if I was like a suicidal drug addict. It wasn't okay if I was a Christian. And then I started skating with new people through church and doing skate ministry, completely restored. So that leads to... How do we reach this community? I think you really got to meet people where they're at. If you come in super hard and you're like, hey, how are you living? You got to stop smoking pot. You got to, you know, you can't live this way, blah, blah, blah. They're going to push you right back out. And if you come in and say everything you're doing is permissible and I'm never going to share my faith, well, that's pretty ineffective too. Like if, if it's changed your life, how, how are you going to keep that to yourself? Going to the skate park, having friends who skate, loving people but being who you are and meeting them where they're at, understanding where they're at. A lot of times there's reasons they're at that place, but interjecting anytime you can to be a positive influence on their life, right? We all have enough negative influences. We need some positive. We do have kids in this church who are getting into skating, and it's been really cool. How I can sew into their lives is like, I'm a filmer, and when I'm filming the kids, you can see them just eat it up. Me filming them lets them know that they're important to me. It's that it's exciting for you to learn these things. And the reason I'm filming it and fist bumping you and and getting riled up is I'm letting you know you're valuable to me. Because when I was growing up, I didn't feel valuable. I felt cast aside, you know. I don't think my dad was always disappointed in me, but I felt like he was. I felt like I I never lived up to the son he wanted. We played guitar together, but he's playing Air Clapton and blues, and I'm learning Misfits songs and starting a punk band. He, he couldn't understand why I want to learn power chords and not, like, blues notes. He played water polo. He swam. He was always in great shape. His son's not very athletic and wants to skateboard. He sees no value in that. So I don't think it was intentional, but I always felt like I didn't measure up. And when God gave me that value and, like, I really felt like God pressed on me, like, you have so much value to me, how that changed how I operate with these young skate kids is, like, I want them to know, like, these things matter because they matter to you. And I want to show up for you so that you know if you're going through something or you feel rejected, but that guy seems to care. Maybe I can talk to him. Maybe he has some insight about this or whatever. I just want that transparency, and I just I want to spare kids from going through some of the stuff I went through because I don't regret the past, but there's some things I did that it's like, man, <laughs> a do over could have been nice on that one, right?
1: And and like you said, to spare them from that, Cannon was learning to drop in, and we went to the old Carlsbad Park and this the smallest smallest spot to drop in that he <laughs> yeah. possibly can. And uh, when he was there, there was these kids or these, this guy who's older, he's the best skater hit there. And he was just ripping, man. He's just having so much fun. And that skate, that park's wild and weird. And he just knew how to skate it. And Cannon kept on almost doing it and then not doing it. And then he finally, the guy, the one of the times the guy comes by and he says, you got it, man. Just go for it. You got it. And then within two more times, Cannon had done it. And he was cheering for him and he was rooting for him. And it's like, man, he like entered into his world and he didn't come in and say like, man, you suck, man, you're new at this. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing here? But he entered into his world and he just was so excited for him to do that. And that's, that's a lot of it. People will care about what you know when they know how much you care. Right. And so when you are able to come into people's lives and love on them where they're at, man, that's a, such a big deal. So it's looking at people with a heart for them. Um, and actually like looking beyond the circumstances, because a lot of times what you get is hard kids who've been through a lot and they're trying to numb out and they're trying to act like they don't care. They often care. And if you really care about them, they're going to notice. Uh, one of the things I've noticed, I did youth ministry for years. A lot of the seeds that were sown in those high school years came back around many years later when, when stuff hit the fan in their life. And then they come to you and they go, I don't know what to do with this. And you go, man, I haven't heard from you in forever, but it's because you cared about them at that place. There was like a mental note and it mattered to them, especially in a vulnerable culture like that, where there's a lot of people that have already kind of like, no, I'm distanced myself from even my family or, or those around me or society as a whole. Oh man, how badly do they need to be led cuz right now what we see or what we've seen especially then is the blind leading the blind no one no one knows the direction and they're all leading themselves into who knows what and so as men and women who love the lord and have vision and passion and direction we have an amazing opportunity to, to join into the world like Jesus, to learn the language, to be around them, to care about the things they care about, to be able to get through all the hard stuff and the kind of weirdness and all the stuff that you kind of disagree with and rough edges and to love on them exactly where they're at and leave a like lifetime impact. But it's not a thing that you just do to you know, be like, oh, because I did it, I'm good. But you genuinely care about people and you genuinely don't wanna see them go down that road and see, you wanna see them instead flourish and have a life that's that'll blow their minds, something they yeah. could never see in the future, which probably you've experienced. Like, could you expect being here at this point when you were doing drugs and you were, you know, caught up drinking like no. crazy and all that? No, it's like God is can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine,
0: People who don't know God or on the journey look at Christians as like, ah, here's all the things you hate, and you're just trying to convert people and win arguments. And it's like, no, nothing transforms the way Jesus transforms, and I, I want people to experience that. When it clicks, dude, I've seen lives radically transformed. And I'm an example of that, and you're an example of that. So final story. And this one, I, I really want the listener to just hear this. You always hear people like, oh, I should have died eight times or whatever. Um, yes, I have a few of those too. But there's one that really comes to mind. I kind of, I just want to highlight the transformation through this story. So it's a little gritty, but I was living in a party apartment in Dana Point, like Lugan and gal, Dana Point. And it was probably like the worst I'd gotten in like the stuff I was doing. We would skate. I was assisting at a salon. There was a lot of drug use in the salon. Then I would go home. We, we partied a lot. It was just a, a crazy atmosphere. And There was one time that for, I want to say about 36 hours, it was like a day and a half, I was cycling two different medications that I had bought off. Oddly enough, a straight edge kid that we hung out with that had prescriptions, but he wouldn't take them, so he would just sell them. And he would always come in the house and be like, Brad, buy some pills off me. And I'd be like, okay, sounds great. And I'm getting tips from the salon, so I have cash on me half the time. For a day and a half, I was cycling morphine and Percocet. And one was every six hours, one was every four hours. You can imagine after a day of this, I start to lose track of when I took what. This is typical addict behavior too. It's like, if if you have it in the house, you can't stop taking it. Why do you need to take both? I don't know. I just need to be that high apparently, right? So I go to Hoagie Bar Michaels for karaoke night. A lot of the guys are in bands at the time. It's a chance to show off. I don't know. We had a ton of fun at those karaoke nights, but I went.
1: We used to do karaoke too. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I went and one of my friends and, you know, I don't think he meant ill intent, but I walked in and he handed me his pitcher of beer and I said, I can't drink right now. And he's like, oh yes, you can. And under my breath, I told him that I'd been taking pills. Even around that crowd, there's still enough shame. I didn't want to announce to the room that, like, I was taking pills. And he was like, you'll be fine. And that's all I needed to hear.
1: When did he get his medical degree? Exactly. (laughs) Got it online.
0: So I'm now drinking after taking all these pills. I, I don't have to tell you, listener out there, that these are a lot of bad decisions I've now made at this point. Karaoke has closing call. It's like, hey, everyone, let's go party back at the manor, which is the apartment I live at. So we're heading back. And my best friend Harvey is like, hey, let's go grab a pack of smokes. And Harvey doesn't know. He would have been bummed at me if he knew that I was taking pills. He just thought I was drinking. Um, He was never down for the drug thing. And, you know, we're still friends to this day. He's a Christian now, too. Love that guy. He's driving me down the street and I couldn't feel my legs anymore. It felt like I was on a cloud hovering down the street. And we walk into the liquor store and like, I'm walking around and it feels like I'm hovering and we get back in the car and I'm smoking a cigarette on the drive back and I can't even feel the drags I'm taking. I can see that I'm taking him. I can see the smoke I'm blowing out, but I can't even feel it anymore. And my body was so numb. And I I just remember thinking like, I'm in really bad shape right now. Like I've never felt like this. So we get back to the apartment. I'm like, Hey Harv, I'm going to go pass out sorry, man, I'll talk to you later. I go to my room and I like conk out. I don't know how long I was asleep. I just know there was a party going on when I went to bed. And when I woke up, the house was pitch black. I woke up sick and I like stumbled to the bathroom and I can't even hold myself up. And I threw up in the toilet and I could see at least two or three undissolved pills when I threw up and I fell asleep on the bathroom floor. And I woke up the next day and there was no doubt in my mind that I was supposed to die that night. I don't know why I woke up. And I'll, I'll tell you, my friend Andrew did overdose on a pill concoction and die. So it's not a hard thing to do. I've, I've lost friends. I love Andrew to death. And, you know, he was a Christian. I hope I get to see him in, in heaven. I hope he's up there. I love that guy. I miss him. When you start messing around with pills and drinking, there's consequences. And it happens. There's no doubt in my mind that God intervened and woke me up so that I would go throw up so that those pills did not dissolve in my stomach and so that I didn't throw up while I was so intoxicated I couldn't wake up and suffocate, which is what happened to Andrew. A week later, I was back to drug use. Because in my head, it's, oh, I'll never let it go to that level again. I can control it better.
1: I'm, I'm I'm still able to handle this.
0: And the reason that I didn't stop doing drugs is, A, I thought I can control it, and B, my life was not that valuable to me, man. I did not know that I was valuable to anyone. I was on my own. Like, it didn't feel like anyone cared about me. I, like, I knew my family loved me, but not that much, you know? It didn't seem like that much. I'm sure they did. But in my head, it was like, this is the best it ever gets. A year later, when I gave my life to God, and when I confessed Jesus, and I said, my life is, is yours— no one had to tell me, you're not allowed to do this or that. A lot of people think like, oh, you got your little rule book and now it's like, you can do this, you can't do that. No. When I understood how loved I was and, and I wholeheartedly believe God was real, I was like, I just want to get to know you better. And the drugs and the uppers I was doing, the pills, the drinking, I was like, that seems like a distraction from getting to know you, God. And it's been 15 years. So almost dying did not change my behavior yet making a decision to follow God, this isn't for everyone. Some people have to go to rehab, some people have to go to detox, but me giving my life to God, instantly. I didn't want to do cocaine anymore. I didn't want to do pills anymore. I don't think anything transforms the way God can transform. Wow! And if you don't want to share that with people, it's like, I encourage you, like, start Christian skate brands, do ministry nights at your church, throw out ramps. Like, if you're a Christian at a secular company, like, have influence in the way that Joseph in Egypt, like, Pharaoh wasn't a a God-seeking man, but because Joseph ends up his second in command, he does radical things for the kingdom of God wherever you are at. This stuff is so valuable, man. You were purchased for a price, and God loves you, and he loves people, and we get to be his ambassadors. That is the joy of our life, to be an ambassador for God. Hmm. And I'm so thankful that he came after me because I could have died on, on that bathroom floor or I could have died in that bedroom that night, and I'm not sitting here. And I don't have a wife, and I don't have two kids, and I'm not out there filming the kids at the skate park or making documentaries trying to help people, you know? So I owe it all to God, and I just want to— yeah. I think that's like my closing note. It's just like, not to get too serious, but just like, man, God loves people and he has done so much in my life. And I just want to see him like do stuff in the skate community. But that takes us going into the skate community. Like if you're a skater and God has set you free and set you on a path, like go back to the skate park, love on kids, meet them where they're at, try and offer advice, be a positive influence.
1: And if you're like maybe one of the younger skaters or skater in general, and you're not you're not a christian Uh, i think it's really important for you to know you were you were created in the image of god imago day that alone carries value and so um a lot of the times people think especially those who take their own lives like no one's going to care the uh, impact of a a life lost is always infinitely worse It, it has way more impact than anyone would ever imagine and so Uh, I think that points to the fact that we were created in the image of God for a purpose. And when that person is gone, there's all of creation seems to feel that. And so um, if you've never been told you have purpose, you have it. You are here for a reason. Jesus loves you. God loves you. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And there is a much better future ahead of you in him and uh, again, like we've said, he'll blow your mind with what he can do in your life. So,
0: so next episode, we're gonna have on our friend Brandon Phillips. Brandon has done like amazing work with youth kids. Look up to him. He had a skate night for a couple years, and kids would come who had never been to church. Some of them started going to church, and some I'd be like, ah, oh, what's the deal with the group over there? And it's like, ah, oh, they're a little rough, but they're okay. <laughs> you know, he just loves people where they're at because he wants to be the guy that they can talk to not the guy who is like conform or get out of here, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's gifted in that way and uh, has made a huge impact. We love him. He's a good friend of ours. Uh, We were all part of the same church together in Orange County. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, now we're just get to have him on our podcast. And so we uh, hope you join in and join us for that next podcast. You can check out any of our uh, episodes on Apple podcast and Spotify and uh, you can also check us out on our new Instagram account. Uh, that's the Voyager Podcast. And you can also reach out to us via email contact at calvarycarlsbad.com. Uh, thanks for joining with us and we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Voyager Podcast. If you'd like to reach out, you can reach us through Instagram at the Voyager Podcast or through contact at calvarycarlsbad.com. We hope this has been encouraging for you. Until next time.